0: What's up, world? This is the Wisconsin Way podcast, the only podcast that, while the rest of the world debates Russia versus AR-15s, we're still delving deep into the Trey Jackson versus George Marshall debate. Mm-hmm. I'm Scott, You're recovering Badger Maniac. Uh, I'm joined by Sham in Chicago. If you want to check us out on Twitter, uh, we'd appreciate it because we don't really have very many followers. Uh, we're at the Wisconsin Way, and if you want to email us any ideas for, for shows, uh, we are at gmail.com. What's going on, Sham?
1: Um, not much, for the record. I've always been a Trayvon
0: Jackson fan. Wait, for the record, really? Yeah. Oh, I was. I was full in the George Marshall camp. Yeah. And we I've, never, uh, never well, had this debate. <laughs> I. We'll just move on. <laughs> uh, all right, man. Well we've won two games in a row here. Uh I we don't we don't need to get lost in the weeds 30 seconds into the show. <laughs> and what uh after that was a, a a tough win, but man, I felt really good about it. I just there's literally nothing worse than losing to the gophers in anything. Like we lose in 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 soccer or or polo or whatever official varsity sports there are at uw that i can't think of right now i hate losing to minnesota so what were uh, what was your your big thoughts after that one
1: uh yeah it was weird it was just a weird game um i it was pretty evident early on that rich, rich richard patino ricky uh <laughs> only had a couple options for what he could do um he decided his their strategy was just going to be to double hap every time and hope we can hit our or hope we miss our threes. Or uh, his his other option would have been play straight up and let hap fall out as two only two big guys. Uh, and that lack lack of front court depth is what happens when you recruit uh guys named Big Rapey. So, <laughs> um, anyway, it was weird anyway. because. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if if anyone or you saw the the win probability chart, but actually the lowest uh lowest win probability we had was literally at like 39 minutes and 30 seconds into the game. So, it was just a uh, it it was just odd. It was uh it was one of those weird games where it just seemed like no matter how many open shots we got, none of them were going to go in. Uh I was fine with the looks we were getting. I thought we actually did a really good job moving the ball around and and getting those looks, and I, I'm glad Nate Mason fell to the ground like the clumsy ass he is uh, without getting tripped, and we were able to take it to overtime, and Brevin Pritzel did Brevin Pritzel things and got us a win.
0: I gotta backtrack for just a second here. I don't think that in my life, and I am, I am known to go on tangents where I'll just delve into, like, moneyball-esque analytics for for weeks at a time and just like regress from society and i've been known to to quote obscure stats on ken Palm to to people that i just met but i don't think i've ever looked at a win probability chart in my life yeah is, is that the thing on the bottom of the like the game cast on on espn
1: yeah i'm looking at the one on on t rank which i'm sure correlates <laughs> about the same thing uh okay. but yeah it was uh I don't know, it's always interesting to see where I don't know where they come up with these numbers I'm a math guy, but I can't even follow this kind of stuff um, <laughs> But yeah, it's odd because there are random periods of time where there's a very straight slope of of either increasing or decreasing odds and then a huge jolt and I it kind of makes me want to go back and watch the game and kind of track along the chart but I don't have the time to do that nor really, like, I don't hate myself enough to do that <laughs>
0: I've I, I, I've side with the latter. I definitely side with the latter on with that one on you. Yeah. So let's as always we'll we'll save the best for last. What uh what were your big negatives from the game afterwards?
1: Um I've got kind of a weird one. Um and I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. So okay. in the second half, you know, like I said, the whole game, the Gophers were just doubling half, daring us to shoot from three. Uh Aleem Ford was really cold. And in the second half, I thought there were probably three or four times where he found the ball with an open shot, and it was a good look from three, and he just passed it up, moved the ball, um, allowed the defense to recover, and we kind of had to reset. Um, So my negative was just Aleem not letting it fly. He is the best or the second best shooter we have out there, and, and, you know, if, if it was my decision, I'd say every time you get an open shot, you work, you get a post touch, the ball comes back around, and you get a good look. Um, that ball needs to fly, and I want my shooters to have that mentality. Um, and, you know, I I think Gardo would kind of agree with that. When we we did a good job working the ball inside, and we've done a really good job scheming against teams that want to double team Ethan like that. And you know, I didn't think the Gophers really had the tightest double teams around and, you know, it was pretty sloppy and we were able to find open looks and that's what you work for in offense. And I just wanted
0: to to let it fly a little more. Yeah. Speaking of double teams, Jordan Murphy might've had the worst double team of the game on the final play of, or the <laughs> second to last play of regulation. And you could literally hear Patino screaming, I don't know, something, some sort of bloody murder riot act over on the bench as Jordan Murphy half-assed tried to to go double ethan baseline and left about a i don't know about a maybe a chevrolet impolicized gap between him and the the next defender when he was trying to go to the baseline so i still have no idea how ethan got that easy of a layup but props to him all right i got us off track again I'm, man i'm tired today you're gonna have to keep me on track for the pod so um moving away from the ball um we did a really good job of this at times against Minnesota, and there were other possessions where we looked like we were playing together for the first time, especially in the first half. There were a couple where we almost looked like we were caught off guard by how aggressively they were, were sagging and collapsing in on Ethan. Um, Aleem had a couple good looks that he just missed. Uh, we're lucky that Brad and Brevin got a little hot and knocked some down. Um, we went around the horn a couple times on those looks and, and got those guys you know, right in their shooting pocket and, and got them really clean looks. There's It's tough. When you have Khalil on the floor, he can really only basket cut. And so Minnesota did a pretty good job of not only giving Ethan tough looks where he's got a double coming or a help side defender that's trying to dig down on him but also making sure that they were aware of Khalil because that's really Khalil's only threat is to baskets basket cut. so they have a guy face guarding him at you know five to seven feet to make sure he doesn't get a a clean rim run Um, and that's this kind of goes back to the scouting report when when you look at Wisconsin right now and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too if, if you're scouting this team You know where where Ethan is going to be at on the scouting report, and I think you know where Brad is going to be. And I think after the last two weeks, we maybe know where Brevin is, and he requires some attention, maybe. I think we're at that point now he's playing well enough. But who else do you really need to pay attention to on the scouting report after those two and a half guys?
1: Yeah, I would imagine... um... Aleem would always be a guy who would show up strictly for his ability to capitalize on double teams and, and hit those open shots. Uh, but the problem that I think arises with Aleem is that he tends to stand in one place, and yep. if you if you can kind of keep a keep a watch on him, it, it's it's pretty easy to keep him contained if he's not if he's not uh, you know right loaded on strong side where the helps coming from uh, because he's he simply doesn't do that great of a job finding uh, finding an opening where he can get it get his look. With that said, yep. I mean, I think he got a lot of open looks yesterday because we kind of schemed him over uh, over near the ball and where the double
0: is coming from to, to get him those kind of looks. Aleem's a really nice guy. I hate harping on him for the second week in a row, but I guess we're going down this road. Um, Aleem looks a little tired. His legs look a little flat right now. Um, he can get shots to go in regardless because he's got such a clean shot up top the ball just you never see him miss left or right hardly ever the ball always comes off his hand really clean he's got a really clean follow-through um that's probably one of the best that i've seen in you know the last in the bo ryan era he's got a great looking jumper right now his his lower body is a little squirmy um and uh there's just a little bit of a lack of of core strength and he just doesn't have the fortitude with his feet and uh his if he's getting challenged at all in the perimeter if he's catching on the move or if he's drifting um if he's trying to trying to interchange and get open uh for ethan for a kick out he just is drifting a little bit and he looks just a little bit tired his his feet just are not quite under him right now um the way they were maybe a month ago so i think alim will get it back together. Um, he played 36 minutes. You know, we're asking him to do a lot on the defensive end. He's actually improved a lot on the defensive end. He's he's getting better every week. So we got to give him credit for doing a lot of the little stuff. He had a, a great game overall. Uh, he didn't have any turnovers. He had three assists. He had four rebounds. He did a lot of a lot of little things in that game that he he deserves credit for. Um, and it's hard. It's hard to play 36 minutes and and work your butt off on defense. And still come back and and be ready to make tough shots that are, are being closed too hard. So, um, sorry, I I was gonna harp on Aleem, and I think I just defended him. So I'm guessing yeah. back on the Aleem Ford bandwagon. No, right? and, so, I, and right? I and I didn't want to talk through that together. Yeah, my,
1: <laughs> my my you know my negative being his shot selection. You know, at the end of the day, I you know want him shooting the ball. So you know he definitely has, has shown a little bit of uh whether fatigue or whatever it may be the last couple of games. Um, but again, like you said, you know, these have been, these have been long, long minute games and, um, you know, the starters have got, got hammered against Purdue. They got hammered against Minnesota and the Leams kind of been all over the rotation too, where he's, there's been games where he's only played eight, 10 minutes a game. And, and, you know, the last two games, I think he was been over 35. Yep. So it's not that, you know, I think that really is, is the cause for him being particularly tired i just think it's just he's it's interesting that he's been all over the place with uh in the rotation
0: now don't get me wrong i love a good aaron Mesh sighting and i know you do too but i think that it's a good sign that aleem is earning gardo's trust regardless of how many shots he's knocking down and what he's doing on offense it's a really good sign that that mace's minutes have been down you know, under 10 to 15 minutes the last couple of games as opposed to 20 or 30. Um, because we know what, what Mesh brings to the table. But if Aleem can play 30 minutes, that's about as big of a compliment as Gardo can give him. Um, and if we're leaving Mesh on the bench and just using him for spot minutes as opposed to for long stretches, um, it's a sign that the 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 kids are growing up and Gardo's uh, really starting to trust them. Yeah,
1: and Aleem and Nate are really the only two guys on the roster right now with with where the attrition has been. That can actually be punished with the bench still because Brad makes a mistake and we just have to live with it because there's there's nothing else we can do. Um, Hap makes a mistake and he's got to stay on the floor, uh, but you know R- Nate Reavers and o- Aleem Ford are the two guys who have actually been punished with the bench throughout the course of yep. the year. So, like you said, it is a compliment when he can when he can stay on the floor like that.
0: I know it's not always fun to evaluate a team. Um, in terms of how they're punished, but if you look at this Badgers team versus past years, there's just not the ability to hold them accountable in the way that that Bow and and Gardo it subs this way too. The last two seasons when we've gotten to to see him coach for you know an extended period of time with a good roster, Gardo subs a little bit like Bow would too, where he he uses the bench pretty aggressively. <laughs> But this team, you just you you literally do not give yourself a chance to win if you're going to sub that way. So Gardo has to coach differently than he would ideally want to.
1: Yeah, and I remember I think within this last week, and I can't remember what forum he was he was speaking at, but I remember Greg Gard made a comment about how. Early in Joe Krabbenhoff's career, he made he made a mistake at Minnesota and Bo sat him for the next 33 minutes of the game or something. I think I actually remember this <laughs> game. Um, but he says anytime a guy like Brad Davison makes a mistake, he can't do anything. He's just got to leave him in the game. Uh, yep. So I, it's it's pretty evident, uh, and especially considering when we had a little more depth the last couple of years that you know he wants to use the bench and he wants to use that hook uh, to teach guys um, when they're making mistakes. but. Uh, you know you can't with this team. Although Bo Ryan did once say he only takes
0: people out of the game because he thinks they're tired. <laughs> Old bullshit in Bo Ryan, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's. Uh, I want to hear your positives. Um, I got a couple, a couple pretty, pretty vague ones. I'm excited to hear what you picked up on. Yeah,
1: I think for the second straight game, I thought overall we played pretty well on defense. I think there are times where. We struggled in transition and semi-transition, picking up the ball or, or stopping Minnesota from cleanly getting into a getting getting into an action. But I thought, you know, as an overall effort, I thought our defense was there. Uh, Nate Mason can be a tough guard, um, and Khalil was was on him most of the game, and he was up to the task. Um, and you know, some of those bigger guys, you know, we we don't necessarily have the big front court depth either. But Jordan Murphy didn't really have a particularly good game. So it was uh you know I thought it was for a second straight game. It was a pretty good defensive effort. Um and we kept them around a uh, 92 points per or points per 100 possessions, So that's in the neighborhood of where we want to be. Yep. So that's a good thing.
0: If you're keeping somebody and keeping a team under 1, you can't ever really argue with it cuz you should always be able to score over 1 regardless. Right.
1: Well, um, we 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 struggled to do that for a good chunk yeah. of the game, especially a good chunk of the second half, but yeah, it was interesting with Patino's strategy there because I think this is a game that 80% of the time we hit a few more of those open threes. And, I mean, we shot we shot 29, and I think all but maybe three or four were pretty good looks. And I think even nope. of those three or four, one of them was that early Brad Davison three right in front of the Minnesota bench. One of them was that Brevin Pritzel fall away before... Halftime, and I think we had a couple late shot clock ones too, uh, and we we quite frankly just didn't shoot well on a lot of those open threes. Um, and and you know, I, like I said, eighty percent of the time, I think we, we win that game going away, and we're up ten with two or three minutes to go, and Minnesota can start fouling if they want or whatever. But it was uh, the game almost played into to Patino's hands with his with his kind of junk strategy he had.
0: You said Patino and strategy in the same sentence twice well, during to, those observations, to be fair, I and said we're, junk we're a podcast and not a video blog, <laughs> so nobody can see the really dramatic air quotes you're doing right now. <laughs> yeah,
1: I didn't need to do the air quotes if I if I prefaced it with sh- junk strategy.
0: <laughs> they true, true. I guess yeah, it's, I, I should have picked up on that. Sorry, I got really fixated on the term <laughs> strategy there and just how obtuse it was to the rest of what was going on. Um, they. <laughs> That uh, yeah, you know, you you live by the you live by the gun, you die by the gun, and you know, Ethan's our best player. Ethan had a fifty percent usage almost. What was he forty nine and some some change against Purdue? Mm-hmm. And what was he this game? Twenty right twenty yeah. percent. Yeah. Okay. So thanks, thanks for being Johnny on the spot with the stats there. I appreciate it because I'm just working off of nothing here. So <laughs> that was a good guess. Um, yeah, this is what I'm here for. Um, it's it's tough. You know what? You you set your scout in motion during the week and you use that strategy early and you get some um, some success with it. And you know what? Minnesota is, doesn't have much of a team. Honestly, Nate Mason doesn't look like he gives a fuck anymore. I'm a really big Nate Mason fan and I've, I've really liked his game the last couple of years and he's given mm-hmm. UW fits particularly with just his decision-making on ball screens at times the last couple of years. Um, he's been sometimes looks like the best player on the floor versus UW. Um, but he just doesn't literally, really look like he cares on anymore. the floor. Get it. <laughs> Sorry, Dude, you kind of blew your load there yeah, with that we, one. <laughs> yeah, We'll get to that. <laughs> there's, there's still time. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, Nate Mason to me looks like, and he went five for 18 from the field he looked like he just kind of didn't care anymore. So Minnesota played that with as outmanned as they were. Um, Hurt probably had the best game of his career against. I think it was his his, his career high. Oh, yeah. I don't just, think
1: Hurt... That was, that was just a once-in-a-lifetime game from him.
0: Yeah, I don't think he could put up 15 points in, like, a middle school church league. Uh, <laughs> that's I, I think that was literally his career highlight for every pickup game, every game against his little siblings that he's ever played in his life. I don't think he's ever dropped 15 um so you know minute you can't necessarily hate on patino's strategy um because if if i was scouting uw i would play him the same way i would i would beg them to beat you from the perimeter make them shoot over contestant jump shots you know close out to guys and run them off the three-point line make um brevin and make aleem uh, beat you off the dribble, make them beat you off the bounce. We we have a, a pretty straightforward scout if we're self scouting right now, and um, I think that Ethan is 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 uh, number one on that scout, and everybody else is is way down. Ethan's got a, a whole paragraph after his name, and everybody else, Brad's probably got about three sentences, and everybody else is about a one to two sentence scout right now. So. I think Brevin is slowly creeping his way up the the self scout though. Brevin might have a couple sentences after his name after the last month here that he's put together.
1: Oh, and he's been moving without the ball too, because I think that yep. was something that was uh, was kind of non-existent the first month or two. Is he was he was primarily a threat just on his set shots, and if he was catching it off the move, he wasn't he wasn't near not nearly as effective from three. But these last few games, include and and Brad has been kind of in the same way. Both of them have been able to. Knock down some shots on the move, which really opens opens things up for us.
0: So I got a couple positives that I wanted to hit on, and I don't even know, man. They're a little fringe and they're kind of all over the place, but it just they made me happy, so I'm just gonna go with it. So um, Gardo ran multiple picket fence looks during the game. He ran at least one or two for Brevin. I believe he ran one for Aleem in the first half. You're familiar with the the shooter flash picket fence, Yo, oh yeah. Richards, right? Yep. Yeah, we're going to run the old picket fence, Adam. Yeah, so I don't know. It's it's a look that is another Gary Close throwback. Gary Close loved running those, and and Bo would use them occasionally. Um, I'm sure Gary was calling for it every time there was a, a TV timeout. That's what he was, you know, in Bo's ear about uh, the shot pass and the the picket fence. Um, I really (laughs) hope Gary close listens to this podcast and he's like grumbling at me right now. I'm just, that's, that's my life goal right there to get him to listen to this podcast. But my favorite picket fence, the weirdest picket fence I have seen in my life. We ran with three minutes and 50 seconds left in, in overtime. We had uh, almost like a horns look where we had everybody pulled up high above the free throw line. And we had Ethan hap set a ball screen to get, I believe Brad going towards his left hand. Which is just a weird way to blow a play up to begin with. <laughs> um, and then what we did was we set a back screen for Ethan off of him setting a ball screen. But it wasn't a regular back screen. They set like a stagger back screen that was actually a, a weird double picket fence back screen that closed. So Ethan went between the middle of it. And I think he had Jordan Murphy on him. And then uh, I can't remember. I think it was a and Brevin. I don't remember exactly set a a double back screen that closed the picket fence on Jordan Murphy. It was just the weirdest (laughs) setup for a play that I think I've ever seen. Oh it's yeah
1: it's almost like running a screen to screener into a picket fence.
0: It just it doesn't there's no (laughs) incons like it just almost seems like it was an accident. Like it shouldn't have worked out that way, but it did. Because the screen the screener action is a, a pretty classic action up top. And to try to get Ethan freed up on that ball side post um, is a, a, a typical look to pull him high and then drag him across to to kind of slow that double team down. But to set a double back screen picket fence off of a ball screen just blew my mind, and I'm ready to sign Gardo up for like a lifetime contract right now. <laughs> like I just I don't I don't know where to go with that. That was so brilliant and deceiving and. Like troubling, like it. It made me. It like shook the foundation of my basketball knowledge. I, I feel like I've been like living blind my whole life here. So, all right, I might be in delving into her hyperbole, but I think you get my get my point. No, <laughs> I was got a you. really cool. Look. Well, it yeah. sounds like it made you happy, so that, that makes me happy. It, it. It. You know what? I was just. I. I was. I had a glow after that. I was like, I don't, I don't give a fuck what happens in overtime. Like that made that just every, <laughs> all of my basketball experiences in my life. Plus like the fact that I watched Hoosiers probably 30 times before I was the age of like eight. Um, it just, it all came full circle at that point. And, and, an overtime versus Minnesota in a, the, a, a subpar season. Pretty weird. How, how <laughs> things come full circle. Life's my very other, symbolic. <laughs> my other weird positive is I'm starting to see some threads with this team with past character traits or player traits that uh, have really worked well in past teams and with how well Brevin Pritzel is playing on the defensive end right now. I don't want this to go to Brevin's head. I know we stroke his ego a lot, and he's one of our regular listeners, yeah. so I don't want to like, get him Confirmed. too hot going into the Big Ten tournament here because we got to win four games in four days. Um, but Brevin is doing a great job of taking his game away from the opponent, meaning he's doing a really good job of, of chasing and closing two shooters right now. Um, and we've had a couple other guards that have struggled early on in their careers on defense. And I'm thinking mainly of Brusty and J who both became really good, um, you know, trail and chase defenders at some point, you know, around their their junior or senior years, went from being big defensive liabilities to being guys that you knew what they matched up really well against, and they became assets on defense. Along with that, um, Khalil did an outstanding job on Nate Mason last night, and uh, Mason he looked frustrated besides the fact that it just doesn't look like he gives a fuck anymore. He just seemed frustrated. Like he couldn't get to his spots. And a lot of that was because he's used to, to be able to get step back jumpers and, and get, open space in the middle of the floor, um, and get to the rim and, and get to, to some of his hot spots, And, you know, that five to 15 foot range Cleal did a really good job of, of pushing him off of straight line drives and just keeping his feet in front of him and make, making Mason work for a little bit more than he's used to, to get his shots off. And that reminds me a lot of how Michael Flowers kind of developed throughout his career. He was a really good athlete and an asset just to have him on the floor, for a variety of reasons his first few years. But the, by the time Mike was a junior, Mike was frustrating the hell out of whoever we wanted to put him on on the opposing team and became a guy that was going to be a pest. And you you knew that you could play four on four when you you threw Mike at their best player. So I got to give it up for Khalil. I know that it's been a, a tough season, but those guys are are becoming a really good complementary pair when we're trying to figure out how we're going to match up with opponents.
1: Well, it's... It's actually really interesting because I think both him and Brevin really have just figured it out on defense. And I remember our episode with Keaton, one of our agenda topics was to go more in depth of the defense. And I don't think we necessarily <laughs> covered it exactly, but you Guess know. Yes, we, we got to were... have back on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I can't handle that. Um, <laughs> um, but it was, it was weird because we had just come off that Michigan game and we were sitting there, you know, no one was closing out, no one was trusting their help. No one was just staying in front of their man or staying with their guy. Everyone was lost. It was just, it was just the most hopeless defense I've, I've, I've in my memory I've ever seen us have. And you know, people were chucking it up to no effort or whatever. I think that's all BS. I think it was just these guys just, just hadn't figured it out. And you know, that has been a theme the whole season. But it seems like they just put nearly eighty straight minutes together of what I, what I thought was some of the best defense you know I've seen us play in, in recent memory. So. Kudos to them for doing that, and Khalil has, has found himself spiritually and on defense, it seems like, and he, uh, he might be a good defensive stopper to have uh, going into next year, and if Brevin can hold his own, um, kind of similar to how we would put Ben Bruss on the floor, and you know physically he was overmatched on defense, for, but he would still play 30-35 minutes a game, and you, know, yep. you could trust him to just chase shooters and, and be in the right spots. Um, and just kind of just overall be a pest and not not get beat at his own game um, and, and if Brevin can give us that we talked about it a couple episodes ago if he can continue to do that that's a huge win for us because his main concern coming out of high school was w- whether or not he's going to defend and if he's in his second year of eligibility right now and he's showing this much progress that's that's huge for us
0: and we know we can shoot the piss out of the ball so if he brings us anything more than that it's just icing on the cake at that point exactly <laughs> So speaking of, of defense, it is very promising that uh, we're making our delving into uh, Aaron Mesh for the second time this episode. It is promising because he's probably one of the better defenders on the team. And I think that's uh, he's kind of the, you know the, the teddy bear. He's the, the safety blanket for, for Gardo when everything's going wrong. He knows at least what he can get out of Mesh on that end of the floor. So the fact that he's playing less minutes, not that I don't love me some Meish, but I think that's a good sign that that Gardo is seeing progress with how we're playing as a unit. Of course, uh, that was a definitely a big hint drop there. That was a, a wink, wink. I continue to throw Aaron Meish at you because uh, I'm <laughs> thinking our chances to to touch on him might be limited going forward. Yeah. Here. <laughs> you know
1: we're we're coming up on the senior day of Aaron Meish and now Matt Ferris. Uh, both of them are, are no longer going to be with us after the season. I just want to just want to say I enjoyed their career. Um, if you recall, 2015 we were playing at Ohio State, um, and this was when Aaron Mays first went with the mustache look, and kind of became uh, I don't know if you want to call him like a cult hero of March Madness. Uh, but this this was towards the end of the year. I think it was a late February game against uh, Ohio State, and we emptied the bench. Aaron Mays came in, first time going on national TV with his mustache and I'll have you know I was the first person to tweet mesh dash immediately retweeted <laughs> by Aaron after the game went viral badger twitter account was pimping that out for as long as I could but uh, yours truly was the first to coin that nickname
0: I I don't know if this podcast will ever be listened to anybody outside of uh, like our moms and maybe like the three people we we hound to listen to it on Facebook but I think that's a great claim to fame you mean Mesh actually retweeted your tweet. Yeah, of course. Dude, can we make an episode title out of that somehow? Can yeah. we just
1: <laughs> You know, I you know, I like to think of it. He's just a normal guy. He puts his pants on one leg at a time too. But
0: it's gonna be so hard not to make some sort of like China Badger chair leg in an eye socket reference for the episode <laughs> title, but if if we can come up with something with the Mesh dash, I'm I'm all all aboard that one, man. We got it. We're going to save it for senior day, or we're going to do it now? We could, we could blow our load here and just do it now. We'll just blow the load now. <laughs> yeah, don't wait for it, because you don't know if you'll get another chance I, at well, it. Well,
1: I never realized how <laughs> pathetic that story was until I actually said it out loud. So it's just, I'm not going to make myself talk about it again, so we'll just, we'll just get it over with.
0: Move, yep, yep. Just get it all there, and we can just move on. All right, sweet. Hey, uh, I've got a, a fuck, Mary kill for you. Okay. And and. I don't I'm allowed to I'm allowed to fuck Mary kill you once in a while too because I think you've thrown a couple my way. Well if you buy yeah. dinner
1: first,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can probably work on that. Uh so um we're going with with Bo Ryan and Greg gard era shooting guards. We're going fuck Mary Kill. If you have a shooting guard, there's there's a couple seconds left on the clock and you gotta run a play for one shooting guard, fuck Mary Kill, Brevin Pritzel. Ben Brusty, and Mike Flowers.
1: Wait, okay, this is where we need to talk. Is this going to okay. be like a catch-and-shoot off like a pin-down or a curl, or is this okay. going to be like a drive-and-kick?
0: We'll go five seconds just to really stick our, our finger in the eye of uh, Minnesota fans. Was there 5.2 left in regulation before the call, in all yeah. caps? Yep. But, yeah, yeah. In quotes. Uh, let's go. Five seconds left. The fall, I think. You mean. I, I was thinking about throwing Bronson in there, and I didn't want to make it easy for you. So, so I went with with three guys that that I think all are debatable at this point. Who you'd choose, just to make it really painful for you.
1: Yeah. So wait, what, so do we do we have an answer? I can run any play
0: I want, or is this we need to standardize? Yep, five seconds. Five seconds. You're inbounding at half court. Five seconds. You got Brevin Pritzel, Ben Brust, or Michael Flowers. Who are you going to have to take the shot?
1: so we'll say I'll run uh, the play will be inbounding to a point guard and we'll run like a little single double uh, screen where, where a shooter's starting on the baseline I'll say and I who are my options again Brevin Pritzel
0: yep and this is Michael fuck Flowers. Mary kill remember so who yep, are you going to kill? who yep. are you not going to have take this shot? <laughs> um, I'm going to kill Michael Flowers oh the inventor of Bo Ryan is a thief <laughs> um creator
1: i will go (laughs) i will fuck brevin pritzel because he hasn't done it long enough for me to uh to commit you know i I can trust this guy i I think but i'm not sure so we'll just we'll just go we'll fuck brevin pritzel and we'll marry ben brust
0: that was kind of the easy way out sean but i'll give it to you it's probably the right answer (laughs) although now
1: i think if you ask me that question um in a year, I think I'm going to have a different answer. I think, well, I think Brevin Pritzel has shown more um, catching it off the move and shooting ability than Ben Brust has, but I will trust Ben Brust's longevity in the program and and um, you know tendency of hitting big shots and big threes uh, in this. But I, I think I can be convinced really to any permutation. But this is what came to mind first.
0: I'm just going to play devil's advocate and say, no matter who you choose between Ben Brust and Brevin Pritzel, neither of them is going to steal the subsequent inbounds pass and then chuck it 30 feet into the air until the time expires. Yeah,
1: that's true. And then like, uh, and then like strangled your dad after it looked like <laughs> is what happened, but
0: I'm not quite sure, but I think my dad might've been the first person on the court for that one. <laughs> That's that's a fringe reference that I'm sure there's, like, somebody who stumbled on this podcast on iTunes that's not going to get it. But good thing my our moms get it at least, yeah. maybe. At least my mom does, I think. Maybe not. <laughs> it's all good. I'm glad somebody – Sean, this is why we may have a podcast together because you and I might be the only ones who are still going to rehash the Trey Jackson and George Marshall debate and delve into the dynamics of of Mike Flowers throwing that pass uh, up in the air and who tackled him first. So this is, this is why we hang out, Sean. Yep. All right. Sweet, man. Uh, Hey, (laughs) anything else you want to touch on on the game? Um, On the game, I'm good. All right. So we got a couple of recruiting updates that we want to get into here quick, too, right? You want to go basketball first?
1: Yeah. Let's talk Ty Strickland. Um, I will just go ahead and say, after my extensive scout on Ty Strickland, (laughs) I I really think he screams kind of mid-major level talent to me. Um, I guess we should probably back up. Ty Strickland was uh, yeah. a three-star point guard. Where is he from? Florida somewhere. Yeah. Um, he's the son of Rod Strickland. Yeah. Uh, I actually just uh, just read some. Would I watch a video or something about Rod Strickland? Someone making the case for Rod Strickland being the most underrated point guard in NBA history. Anyway, that's besides <laughs> that's besides the point. Um, so Ty Strickland, he's a, he's a point guard. He looks like he uh, he plays a little more of a scoring guard rather than distributor. He just has the most high school looking shot I've ever seen, um, <laughs> oh. which I don't think is a bad thing. I mean, it could get, it, I mean, it could get better. But if it translates and he, uh, you know, he can uh, continue to be, he looks like he's a, you know, pretty comfortable ball handler right now. If he can continue that, you know, I think there's some potential there. But right now, he doesn't seem to have much explosiveness, and and like I said, his shot leaves a little to be desired. He seems like a mid major guy. Um, and I think Wisconsin was his first high-major offer. Yep. And if, it's if best if, offer right now. Anyone so listening to We just to this offered him could, a couple of days ago, didn't we? Yeah. So that, like three, four days ago? ago. Yeah, yeah, within a week or something. If anyone listening to this can could clarify for me, I'm sure I could have figured this out with like two seconds of research, but I saw John Wall retweeted Ty Strickland's announcement that he got a Wisconsin offer. And I, I wanted to figure out the connection, but I just kind of didn't care that much. <laughs> So I'll just I'll just crowdsource that. If anyone can tweet at us why what the connection is there between those two. Um, anyway, sorry.
0: And waste <laughs> loose. Yeah, I didn't
1: I didn't mean to derail the conversation. What do you what do you think about Ty?
0: Well, you know what? I can't disagree with anything you said, but just for the sake of brevity, I'll I'll <laughs> no, that was sorry. sorry, I couldn't help it there. I just, just wanted to throw brevity in there. There's we don't only a do that. few. Sorry. <laughs> oh, God. Dude, I just ground my own gears there saying that out loud. Um, so I'll just give you a little background on, on my Ty Strickland uh, experience. I tried to do a little bit of uh, YouTube research on him this afternoon and read about him a little bit and watched some highlight videos on YouTube. The problem is that his dad's highlight videos were tagged on like all his highlight videos on YouTube. So I ended up watching more highlights of his dad play for the Blazers in like the like late 90s, early 2000s. And then that just took me down like a, a little bit of like a, a memory way of me using Rod Strickland in NBA street games in like the <laughs> early 2000s uh, on PS2 and GameCube. So I'm going to say that just for my own like ability to wax poetic about my my days of being the best NBA street player yeah, known to, to man, um, I think we should sign him up. OK, that's yeah, fine. Can, 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 can you give that? <laughs> no, but actually, though, I think you're I agree with you. Um All of his highlights that I saw, all of his stuff that was on YouTube was from last year, from his junior year. So my hope is that maybe he's a late bloomer and he's improved a lot this year. And he's, you know, a diamond in the rough that Gardo found that, you know, they've had their eye on for a while. And the kid is, is, you know, growing up rapidly and growing into his body because he just is a little he's he's a good high school player. But he doesn't have that film right now that that jumps at you that says, like, he's ready to to contribute at the next level so but I only saw junior year stuff so I'm hoping that I'm wrong
1: so here's another thought I had and I could be way off base and I I think I'm just going to sound really stupid in three years when we when we (laughs) sign him up and he's going to be like a pretty good player um he really looks like what I would expect someone like John Lure looked like when he was still a guard like his freshman year (laughs) I don't know if that's like an insult or like a compliment but they call he's kind of
0: gangly yeah yeah, they
1: call ty uh they call him a late bloomer he's obviously not gonna he's not gonna get much taller than he is right now but i don't know he just seemed to have very he had just nothing that really stood out but who knows what could happen if he if he can a couple things go right in his development i think he could be a fine player but i think I, i don't think it's super promising
0: Making just grand assertions off of like a couple minutes of, of YouTube highlights. <laughs> he hits a lot of threes, so he's got that going. Well, for him. I
1: think it's always it's always safer to uh to project his floor off those highlight videos because you know those are like the best <laughs> the best you're gonna see out of him, right? So just just assume he's a lot worse than that and that's uh that's how you get that's how you graduate Sham School of Scouting.
0: All right, bad parallel for you. This is going to dredge up some bad memories. I see a little bit of uh, Diamond Taylor when I watch him. Kind of oh, a gangly okay. guard yeah. that can fill, um, but doesn't necessarily bring a ton to the table athletically or physically, um, but can still fill it up at the high school level just because he's a, a little bit bigger and a little bit more skilled than everybody else. So, Sorry, Badger fans. Didn't mean to to dredge that one up. I maybe, <laughs> maybe could have found a, a better comparison, but that's uh, probably the last guy that... Um, that kind of fits that mold i'm now brain farting oh riley deering that's the other kid that has a similar kind of build and game yeah and riley deering played for a pretty good high school team and made a lot of threes and that's a had a good pedigree and that's about it, <laughs> it just didn't really bring a whole lot else to the table and i you know i don't think um our opinions of him ever really changed so i would love to be wrong i really hope that no, I'm wrong i because I see think...
1: some vines of, of riley deary deering dancing before <laughs> uh so my opinion did change that i i went from not having an opinion on his dancing ability to thinking he was a good dancer so
0: you're wrong all right touche touche that's uh on that <laughs> Now that we've we've managed to struggle our way into arguments with one another, <laughs> um, uh, we got some some football updates here too. Yeah, um, Graham Mertz has just
1: been rolling in the offers as expected. Um, he's really taken off recently. He got an Alabama, uh, uh, Iowa, lol, and a <laughs> and a Georgia and an LSU offer. Um, and we we know this because he likes to tweet out every time he gets an offer. I don't. I don't know what you think about him tweeting out the offers. Uh I don't really care, uh, for the per, from a personal standpoint. Like if he I would probably do the same thing. Honestly, I'm probably just gonna like probably I like pimp out this podcast all the time on social media, so <laughs> like I get it. From uh the standpoint of wanting to make sure he stays committed, um that makes me question a little bit, but it, you know, from all indications, it sounds like he's he's pretty committed.
0: What do you think? So I'm just gonna throw this out there at this point with Graham Mertz. I think it would be more noteworthy, more, ugh, more noteworthy if he just tweeted schools that haven't offered him yet. Yeah, <laughs> that might be more worth pointing out. Um, I don't know how many Division One football, 118 or some yep. shit like that. Yeah, he's got to have like about a hundred and twelve offers right now. <laughs> like, I'm sure Louisiana Lafayette's thrown one in there, but I'm sure he could find some obscure, like, you know, fledgling D1 program in southern Washington State that maybe hasn't offered him well, yet because they don't know yeah. that he exists because they Fletch don't have a program. Probably,
1: probably waiting till a week before signing day and then he'll <laughs> offer him <them> and, <laughs> and try to get him on on campus for visit or something like that. That's a Minnesota way. I think that's what they did with Brad Davison too. They waited like till a week before he committed or something and and. Tried to throw the house at him, but
0: dude, I love that it's the Minnesota game wrap-up. And even when we're moving on to football recruiting news, <laughs> we still find a way to twist the knife, man. Like, can we can we just talk about the like Ben Strickland recovery of the uh the recovered punt, uh, the blocked <laughs> punt in the end zone? Like, there's gotta be some other like eye sockets we could stick chair legs in right now. I <laughs> I have an encyclopedic memory of like all the wonderful gripes we have against Minnesota sports. And now that I live here, like I get to recall them more frequently. But honestly, I just don't even care anymore because when was the last time we lost to Minnesota in something that mattered? I know somebody right now is going to be screaming women's volleyball, um, but I'm not that worried about it. Was, was the last
1: game we lost, the Valentine's Day game, where, where Mike Bruzowicz, uh traveled on the inbound? Oh, God, that's... I think that might be oh, it. You,
0: because, you just brought back some bad yeah. memories. I had not oh. thought about that for four years. <laughs> um, how many times have we beat Minnesota in a row? Like seven or something like that? Yeah, seven or eight. Eight. I, eight. eight? Okay, yeah. I know I it was brought up this week. Um, that's a lot. That's, that's a big deal. It's not quite as impressive as 14 in a row in football. <sighs> 13, 14? Yeah. So, I think it's 14. 14. It's just... Yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't even like... I don't even concern myself with Minnesota's existence anymore in sports. <laughs> it's not even worth talking about at this point. And it's funny because I'm employed by the University of Minnesota, so you'd think I'd maybe pay more attention to them. But I really don't care. <laughs> it's it's at that point where I don't even really consider it a rivalry anymore. We should just, you know, place the axe into some sort of like permanent cement structure. Maybe like the Declaration of Independence, where it's like encased in like six inches of plexiglass, <laughs> so that it's bombproof. We should just do that with the axe, but never mind like the escape mechanism. Just like permanently encase it in acrylic, so that we can all go take pictures with it at Camp Randall. Put it outside somewhere. Like it doesn't. It's not even that big of a deal anymore. I don't even worry about them. Yeah. Right, what well, were we talking about, getting well, Graham Mertz, well, huh? Can,
1: can ores <laughs> break through six six inches of plexiglass or no? <laughs> Dude, that's. Uh... Anyway, yeah, we were talking about Graham Mertz. <laughs> I don't know how we ended up here. Dude,
0: uh, I love. Shade that you just threw. It was amazing. I'm glad that we went down that path again. We could, if you want to do this again in like a minute or two, (laughs) once we finish with Grant Mertz, I'd be glad. (laughs) Grant Mertz, um, he's getting offers from everyone. He's retweeting them, even though some of our commits don't. And even though some of our past commits, wink, wink, have gotten in trouble for, for retweeting other offers. I think that it depends on the kid. And I'm sure that, that Paul is talking to him fairly regularly. But I think there's a parallel here, Sham, that I'm going to make with you that's going to be a little awkward and maybe make you giggle uncomfortably. I think that when your stud quarterback recruit gets a lot of big-time offers and retweets them, I think it's kind of like having a cute girlfriend at a bar, which is something I'm sure you can relate to because you got a cute girlfriend. And sometimes <laughs> when you take your cute girlfriend to a bar, they get hit on that's a thing that happens when you, you know, have a cool significant other who's not ugly. So, <laughs> but does anybody like the boyfriend that's like super jealous and like grabbing their arm at the bar? Like we have to go home. It's like, no, it's like, it's a fucking joke. You, you know, you, you know, roast the dudes that, you know, cause you know, who your girl's going home with, you know, where Graham Mertz is signing at the end of the day. Like we got this figured out. like, if if some fucking creepers, you know, from Alabama and LSU want to like hit him up and like try to buy him a drink, like who really cares? Like, at the end of the day, we know where where Graham Mertz is is laying his head down at night. We know where where what pillow he's he's hanging out on. So I think uh, nobody likes a jealous boyfriend. Everybody likes a boyfriend that's willing to to make a joke about it and roast all the creepers with you know sketchy mace stashes at the at the bar. So. <laughs>
1: So I think what you're saying is is Paul Crist is kind of like double fisting Long Island's by the dartboard at the KK, and Graham Mertz is kind of up by the bar, um, flirting with anyone trying to get us all free drinks. Yeah, I
0: agree with that. You can get down with that. Yeah, if if that's what he's doing, that's okay, I guess. I right. I think that's exactly what he's doing. Uh if nothing else then because it's, you know, we're the most optimistic badger podcast <laughs> on the face of the earth. So that's that's how I'm going to going to rationalize all of this.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> Dude, I, I think we got to sure. call that
0: an episode, man. <laughs> I don't
1: know where else we can yeah, go. Yeah, we're done.
0: <laughs> all right, Joe. thanks for listening. Uh if you actually survive this long, um I'm going to give you a high five, a hug, and maybe like a gold star or a cookie next time I see you. And chances are I'm going to see you because there's only what do we have? About sixty people that listen to this. Do, you, yeah. do we have sixty friends between us? Sixty friends. Yeah, uh, I could probably come up with thirty. I could probably split that.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I'd pull my weight there. Shit, that's <laughs> that's, that's,
0: that's impressive. Maybe there's Russian hackers that are yeah. listening to this right. So Russian hackers, I apologize if you're in St. Petersburg or Moscow, we'll have to find a way to FedEx you some cookies. But thanks for surviving this long. Uh, This is the Wisconsin Way podcast. You need to check us out on uh, Twitter at the Wisconsin Way. And if you want to email us any ideas to stop Tyus Jones or uh, if you got any uh, um, aversionary stories about chair legs and eye sockets, uh, we are at the Wisconsin Way at gmail.com. Thanks, y'all.